0: Good morning. I'd like to welcome you back to our second anchored in the word morning reflection for this week and hope that your week's going well. And hope that you spend a little bit of time reading through this passage of scripture uh, leading up to this devotional thought. And uh, as I mentioned yesterday, we're not going to read the entire psalm together, but I'm going to uh, look at the second part of the psalm. And uh, if you're looking at this psalm, you can divide it into three parts. And I'll talk about that, not not this morning, uh, but Lord willing tomorrow. And uh, hopefully that will kind of help you work your way through it. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to read the second part, and that's verses 11 down to verse 18. So let's read it together. Here's what it says. False witnesses did rise up. They laid to my charge things that I knew not. They rewarded me evil for good to the spoiling of my soul. But as for me, when they were sick, my clothing was sockcloth, I humbled my soul with fasting, and my prayer returned into my own bosom. I behaved myself as though he had been my friend or brother. I bowed down heavily as one that mourneth for his mother. But in mine adversity they rejoiced and gathered themselves together, yea, the abjects gathered themselves together against me, and I knew it not. They did tear me and ceased not. With hypocritical mockers in feasts they gnashed upon me with their teeth. Lord, how long wilt thou look on? Rescue my soul from their destructions, my darling from the lions. I will give thee thanks in the great congregation. I will praise thee among much people. Now, as you can see from what we just read this morning, David was experiencing a tremendous hardship of affliction. And the way that he describes it in the second section, uh, the second part of Psalm 35, this is a person Or these were people, individuals, that David considered to be friends. When they were going through hardships, David was sad for them. David treated them as if they were a a near friend or even a family member. He prayed for them. And they have turned against him. And they're treating him unjustly. And they're exploiting vulnerabilities that they're aware of because of their closeness to David. And so what you see is tremendous suffering on David's part. And it's an unjust suffering. When we look at it, we say, David shouldn't be experiencing what he's experiencing. And perhaps maybe someone listening to this this morning would find yourself in a similar situation. You would say, I've been treated unjustly. Uh, Somebody has exploited vulnerabilities because of their closeness to me. This is somebody that I, I care about. This is somebody I prayed for. This is a family member, a close friend. They've turned against me. I don't know how to make sense of this. That's kind of the sense of what we're talking about. Perhaps you've gone through a season where you can resonate with what David, where those things resonate with you. So it leads me to a question. Why does God allow suffering? I mean, you could take a different approach where you just say, well, God just lets the world do what it's gonna do. And he is not in any way in control over these things. And it's just blind chance. And God just lets everything unfold. Well, that's not really the case. The, The scriptures are very clear. That God is on his throne, he's sovereign, he rules. So if we suffer, we suffer because God has chosen to permit it. So the question is why, why does he allow that? Well, I can't give you all the answers, but I do wanna zero in on a couple of things that we know the Bible teaches about this issue that I hope will be helpful to you as you think about this. The first thing I mentioned, is that, well, this is a natural consequence of living in a fallen world. When, when God told Adam and Eve, don't eat of this fruit because in the day that you eat it, you will die. And it was called the, the tree of the knowledge of both good and evil. I mean, it was true. It wasn't a vain threat. God knew what would be the ultimate consequence of them choosing to disobey him. So the natural consequences of living in a fallen world are the troubles we experience and the suffering that's a part of it. There are real life consequences for the sinful choices people make. And by the way, it's not just the sinful choices we make. It's the sinful choices that people make around us. I mean, if your spouse sins against you, you experience hardship as a result. If your parents sin against you, or if you sin against your children, or if your boss sins against you, or the people that work under you uh, in your employment situation, uh, when people in the church sin against each other, I mean, it affects people. There are real-life consequences for these things. And God is not under any obligation to just suspend the laws of nature. Or to suspend the laws of sowing and reaping. Those things are there. And God has created a world where when you do certain things, there will be consequences. And it's not his obligation to suspend all of those laws. And to interfere in all of these situations so that things do not unfold the way that he warned that they would. And we see this in Luke chapter 13. In Luke 13, it says there was a uh, there were present at the season some who told Jesus of the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. And Jesus answered and said to them, "Suppose you that these Galileans were sinners above all the Galileans, because they suffered such things? I tell you, Nay, except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish." Or some there were eighteen that, that uh, on for whom the tower of Siloam fell and slew them thinking that you are that ye were sinners above all men that dwelt in jerusalem i tell you, you nay know, except you repent you shall likewise perish i mean jesus is giving two examples one is a natural disaster a, a tower falling and people dying and one is um we don't know if it was some form of injustice, what all the details were, but, I mean, Pilate treated some people brutally, and he, he killed them when they were in the temple. I mean, what a terrible thing. And Jesus says, I'm not going to explain to you why that was permitted. I'm just going to tell you that you need to repent and make sure you're right with God, because one day you're going to meet him. That's what Jesus says. No, well, The point is that in a fallen world, bad things happen. But there's another piece to this I think is so very important, and I don't want you to miss it. God permits evil in the life of the Christian because there is good that he is going to accomplish through it. And I'm reminded of Romans 8:28. It says that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. The, the, the affliction and the suffering and the troubles of Christians and people who walk with God and love God, these are things that God will use to accomplish good in their lives. And the Bible is full of examples of ways that God can take evil and affliction and hardship and difficulty, and he can use it to accomplish good. For instance, he humbles us when we need to be humbled. Second Corinthians 7 verse 9, he says, "'I rejoice not that you are made sorry, but that you, are, you sorrowed to repentance.'" you were made sorry after a godly manner. Godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation. Well, in this particular context, Paul is saying, I'm thankful, not in the fact that you suffered and were grieved, but I'm thankful that the suffering and the grief God used to bring you to a repentance of heart, a thinking change that you desperately needed. Or in Hebrews 12, 10, it says, he chastens us for our profit that we might be partakers of his holiness. And it yields peaceable fruits of righteousness with them which are exercised thereby. God humbles us and he uses these things for good in our lives. He draws us to himself. I think about Jeremiah 31. It says, the Lord God said to the families of Israel that they shall be my people. Thus saith the Lord, the people which were left of sword found grace in the wilderness. Even Israel, when I went to cause him to rest, the Lord hath appeared of old unto me saying, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, have I drawn thee. Now the context of those statements are that these are people who have suffered and in the midst of the suffering God humbled them and then drew him these people to himself in love. 2 Corinthians 1:5. The suffering of Christ abounds in us so our consolation also aboundeth by Christ. He demonstrates the power of the new birth and how it radically changes people in 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 14. It says if you suffer for righteousness' sake happy are ye be not afraid of their terror or be troubled, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready also to give an answer to every man that asketh you of the hope that lieth in you in meekness and fear. So the distinction between the believer and the unbeliever is most clearly seen in not just the choices they make about what they do and don't do, but how they process grief, and how they process suffering, how they process injustice, how they process hardship. The Christian processes those things in a distinctly Christian manner. God uses these things to strengthen us. He says, we glory in tribulation, knowing that tribulation worketh patience. Romans chapter 5, verse 3. Or James 1, 2. Brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptation, knowing that the trying of your faith worketh patience. He builds us through this. And he prepares us for that future glory. Romans chapter 8, verse 18, he says, I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. 2 Corinthians 1, 7, Our hope of you is steadfast, knowing that as ye are partakers of the sufferings, so also shall ye be of the consolation. Now, all of these things are good things but they're only accomplished through hardship and suffering and struggle. In the same way that a person who goes to the gym has to lift weights and strain their body, they have to run on the treadmill or run down a path, and they, they, have, to, they have to push themselves physically in order to become stronger. God has to do the same thing in our lives. But perhaps one of the most interesting of all the things that God uses suffering to accomplish is that he uses suffering to help us to appreciate what Christ accomplished for us and what it cost. Because when we suffer, it gives us a small glimpse into the kinds of suffering Christ experienced for us. You know, we we experience what it means to be betrayed. And we ought to, in the back of our mind, say, and you know what? Christ was betrayed so that I could be reconciled to God. We experience physical pain and and hardship, and we, we ought to sometimes stop and go, you know what? Christ was willing to suffer immense physical pain to go to the cross and bring me to himself. And you just go through all the different potential scenarios, and you know what you'll be reminded of? Christ willingly left the throne of heaven and took on flesh and the limitations of that humiliation, and he did it so we could be redeemed. And we even see the pieces of it here in Psalm 35. He talks about things that are mentioned later on in the Gospels. And so I want to remind you that as we think about the sufferings that we experience in life, God allows us to suffer not because he's cruel and tyrannical and harsh, but because they're a part of what molds us. Into the instruments that he wants us to be, that he can use. It's what molds us into strong, matured, wise, patient, godly people who love him and appreciate the true value and the weight of his sacrifice on our behalf. And so, Lord willing, as we continue to work our way through Psalm 35, these are things that will resonate in our minds. If this has been an encouragement to you, please take a moment to share that. If you have any questions, I'd, I'd be happy to entertain those and perhaps share it with somebody who can be encouraged by it. Have a blessed morning. Lord willing, we'll meet again tomorrow. Bye now.